Hello and welcome to the Building Sustainability Podcast with me, Jeffrey Hart. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers. Together, we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and a warm welcome to episode 105. This episode is with the best-selling author and columnist Sally Coulthard. Uh, now, Sally has written over 25 non-fiction books. Her books have covered a wide range of themes, from native bees and hedgehogs to folklore and the history of rural buildings. The countryside remains a constant source of inspiration, whether it's barn owls or earthworms, and many of Sally's books share her love of native wildlife and sustainable living. Sally also writes a column for Country Living magazine, A Good Life, in which she reveals the triumphs and disasters of growing her own fruit and vegetables and keeping an unruly gaggle of livestock, including soe sheep, runner ducks and hens. Um, so I first stumbled across Sally's work earlier this year. I had a quick peruse of her website and found that every single title on there was one that I wanted to read. And many of the topics were the cornerstones of this very podcast. So I sent her off a very overexcited email straight away before I really had time to think about it, telling her all of this and inviting her to be a guest on the podcast. Thankfully, she wasn't put off by my uh, fanboy email um, and we recorded this conversation at the beginning of October 2023. I am really, really excited for you to hear this conversation. Um, I have split this conversation into two hourish chunks. And this is the first one. Episode 106 will follow straight after this and will focus more on biophilia and craft. As always before the episode, we have some news. And the big news is that we have some of our courses for the Nettlecombe Craft School online and available to book. Uh, so regular listeners will know about this project and um, that we have been setting up here in the woods in Nettlecombe. Uh, that is Exmoor in the southwest of England. So Nettlecombe Craft School is a craft school. It teaches traditional craft skills. So we have currently got courses in spoon carving, bookbinding, a wooden covered book, uh, introductions to green woodworking classes. Uh, you can come and make a rush hat. Uh, learn to collect and process wild fibres into usable materials for textiles and basketry. Uh, we've got an ash split basketry course. A traditional Welsh split hazel basket course. Uh, there's leaf printing, lino printing, turning bowls on a foot-powered Viking lathe. There's chestnut bark baskets. <sighs> and we haven't even put all the courses online yet. So do head on over to netcomcraftschool.com and there is a link in the show notes and check back in the next couple of weeks because we put the craft side up and we'll be adding more of the traditional building skills workshops in the next few weeks. Um, that will definitely include an earthen floor weekend where you can come and learn everything I know about earth floors. Um, there'll be some dry stone walling um, and hopefully some thatching going on later in the year too. So that is all the courses for 2024 online now. I'm ready to book at netcomcraftschool.com. Okay, podcast patrons, um, if you would like to support this podcast and it is independently produced by me, takes quite a lot of time and quite a lot of hard work. Uh, then it would be gratefully received. If you can support them, please do at 
patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. But equally, if you can't afford it, then enjoy this for free. Um, We've had a bumper load of supporters this month. uh, So sending out a huge thank you to everyone that signed up. Um, Let's read these from the top. We have got Ingo Johns, who has joined at the spoon level. We've got Wales Hollow Wood Butcher, also at the spoon level. Uh, Donna Stradarick, uh, also at the spoon level. Uh, we've got Benji. Charlie Haslam uh, is also getting a spoon. Nathan Morgan also getting a spoon. Remy Rembees. No, that's got exclamation marks after it. Remy Rembees. Remy's also on the spoon level. Uh, we've got Marcus Keevney also on the spoon level. We've got Denisa Devoka. Devoka. And finally, we have got Sarah, just Sarah from Nelson Studio. And Sarah is on the spoon level as well. So that is anyone on the spoon level. I will be carving a wooden eating spoon for them in the next few weeks. Thank you for all of you. That's it's really overwhelming that so many people have signed up this month. Um, Obviously, your support is so gratefully received. But do remember to cancel your subscription if you can't afford it. I think that's it. I think we should just get into the podcast now with Sally. Oh, I should also say, uh, what with Sally being an author, uh, there are lots of links to books, to her books in the show notes. Uh, All of these will be linked through Hive. Uh, They are my preferred online retailer. Uh, They are not owned by Amazon and they give a percentage of all of the book sales go to uh, your local independent bookshop. So you can be helping out an independent bookshop. And a little tiny percentage of it also comes back to me by way as a referral fee. Obviously, always look for the book secondhand if you can. But if you do want to go for a new book, then I think Hive is the best. Um, Just before we get going as well, there is one little swear um of the shh variety um if that is offensive to your ears then uh maybe skip this episode all right then here is sally coulthard hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory. But boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I write predominantly about the crossover between three areas, um, and they're quite broad topics, but people, history, and and nature. And I'm really interested in where those three circles kind of overlap. And, and in that kind of sweet spot, there are lots of different topics, everything from uh, folklore and the history of certain animals to, to natural building and craft and all those kind of things. So I have a very broad uh, range of interests and, and and I've written lots of different books about everything as from as random as kind of how to build a shed right through to you know the history of the chicken so <laughs> I'm not a specialist in anything but I'm very interested in pretty much everything brilliant well um yeah the reason I uh asked you to be on the podcast I can't remember quite how how you sort of popped up in my world but I I started looking through the list of your books and just with every one was like, oh, oh, that's my my thing as well. And that one, and that one. Oh my good. Excellent. Biophilia. Oh. <laughs> oh good. Yeah, it's probably maybe it was through biophilia. That was probably it's it's quite a good crossover book, really, between um the sort of built environment and if you're interested in ecology and and nature and, and well being and, and that kind of thing. Yes. It certainly it seems to sort of I don't know, it's like the science of why people that hang out in nature are happy exactly put very succinctly perfect yes it is, <laughs> it is. i've talked it to is. quite a lot of smarter people than me about biophilia so well don't worry i won't be one of those <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> um so uh when i look back through your your titles it sort of seems to me like there's a, a bit of a journey happening mm. how would you describe that so that's a brilliant question and actually one that I've never been asked before. And the answer is that it's probably 50% pragmatism and, and 50% me maturing as an, as an author and having the confidence to write about the things that I'm really interested in. So to give you a bit of backstory of kind of how I got into writing, I, when I left, I, I studied archaeology and anthropology at university. And so I've always been interested in history and material history and and ancient history and also sort of how people organize themselves and cultures and that kind of thing and then when I left university I went to work in television for quite a long time and did a lot of um, lifestyle programs and history programs and that kind of thing but but very sort of popular programming and I loved it but it was really stressful as right. well and it was really sort of full on as anyone who's ever worked in tv production will tell you it's it's full on and after about sort of maybe and I was living in London as well maybe after about sort of eight years I started to feel unwell and ended up having to come home back to back to rural North Yorkshire to recuperate and I didn't really know how I was going to earn a living and I'd really enjoyed this sort of I love the communication side of working in television. I love the idea of taking a complicated topic and expressing it in a in a clear way and, and some way that kind of brought people along on a journey with you. So that was what I got from television. And and 
so I thought, okay, maybe I can maybe I can come up with a book idea. Maybe there's something I can write, kind of nonfiction that that will that will interest people. And and so my first book I ever wrote was about organic living. Basically, it was about natural materials. It was about low chemical living, and that was um, because I'd become personally interested in it to, to kind of get better and and recover from from my illness. And and so and I, the first book deal I ever got was with with with, with BBC Books, and and so that was a brilliant kind of start, and that was a brilliant way into writing nonfiction books. Um, and then from that, you're almost taken on a journey as an author, especially if you're kind of a jobbing author, as I would consider myself, is you take you take the work you're given often. And so as soon as I got involved with the BBC uh, books sort of department, they would ask me to write about lots of different topics, anything that I kind of felt comfortable with. So I ended up writing about restoring buildings and salvage and um, things that sort of tapped into my own kind of practical interests because I've been doing a lot of renovating houses and at the same time um and so I wrote quite a lot about lifestyle houses interiors that kind of thing um for quite a long time partly because it was my interest partly because it was also the kind of books that were selling really well and this is we're talking about sort of maybe 15 years ago uh 20 15 years ago and then I was lucky enough to be asked uh, to write um, a nature book and um, I thought oh that's a brilliant that's what what a brilliant challenge because I've actually never written anything about about nature I'm not an, you know I'm, I, I, I haven't got that kind of background and found that I really loved it and especially because I was living in the countryside by that stage my husband and I had had, had managed to, to to scrape together the money to buy a small holding um, in in North Yorkshire and I was learning about the countryside and nature and, and, and wanted to kind of communicate what I was learning about. So, so from kind of homes and interiors and kind of being practical and that kind of thing, I then sort of moved into nature and the history of nature and, and, uh, also it then kind of morphed into writing about a history of the countryside and about the people that live in the countryside and their concerns and, and it's just kind of snowballed from there. So, so the kind of cul- culmination of that is the is the recent book I've just finished for Harper Collins, which will be out next year, called "A History of the Countryside in a Hundred Objects." And for me, that's kind of that's literally, you know, the pinnacle of all my interests kind of coming together. So that's a very long winded way of saying I've written about lots of different things. But but it, it is a journey that is it isn't completely scatty. It ha- it, there is a kind of logic to it. Um, but you also just write about what people ask you to write about. I, I think when I looked across your your range of books, I saw similarities between between your work and and what I do with this podcast. As like, there's a an overarching topic of well, it's quite a a spread out topic really, and it you know it burrows into little bits over here and over there, and I feel like they're all linked, but I can't mm. really explain how. <laughs> I just. Yeah, and that's the sort of feeling I get from from your uh, your work. But I imagine you can probably explain how they are linked. Well, I, I mean, I know I know exactly what you mean, and 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 sometimes people can say, oh, you know, you, you write about such a lot of diverse subjects. But for me, there are kind of some core themes that always come out, and and often it's it's about the relationship between people and their environment, and and not just the environment as in nature, but the built environment and 
there's also something for me about I've, I've resisted my entire life being made to do one thing and to be to pick one topic because actually I think a really rounded person is someone who and, and I get this from my dad who was a very educated man but also deeply practical and so he could make fine furniture but he could also lecture on you know sociology or whatever and for me that's really appealing because I think uh, one person doesn't have to be an academic or, or you know, arty or creative or all those kind of things. And I, and I pride myself on being, trying to be as rounded as possible. Because also, you know, if you're, if you're a creative person, that actually helps with your writing and, you, and how you think about and approach a topic. Or, you know, if you're doing a practical job, then applying to intelligence and, anal- and, and then kind of analytical thinking and logic to it is really important. And so for me, you know, I, I, I'm sad that kids have to choose so, so early on in their school life to be one or the other. And, and I, I keep saying to my kids, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to just go down one route. Um, and so that's, I'm trying to kind of live, live the example of not being pigeonholed as it were, without sounding too worthy about it. <laughs> that's good yeah i feel very much the same i i've definitely always been a person that had very wide interests and i quite often if i'm on a building site or something you know there's the person that has just dedicated their life to plastering Mm. and i can see how incredible they are at plastering and you know it's their thing and then i feel a bit you know oh i don't really know that much about anything Mm -hmm. um and i think that's sort of a yeah um because we are pushed into that sort of specialism route, choosing something mm. early on. Um, so it's very nice to hear that you're you're owning it and loving it. But, yeah, I, sh- I should I should have jack of all trades, to, you know, written on my tombstone or but mas- <laughs> master of master of none at the end of it. But actually, sort of joking aside, you know, there is, there is a view that if you don't really know a topic completely inside out, then you 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 know you shouldn't be allowed to speak about it. But I don't I don't. I don't agree with that. I think, you know, you can, you can educate yourself about lots of different topics and then they can, you know, and, and and you've got to keep learning as you get older and, you know, absorbing new bits of information. And I I like learning new skills and whether it's, you know, trying to learn to play the piano or liner cutting or having a go at line plastering, all these kind of things. Cause I think it's such good exercise for your brain. Um, Mm -hmm. And often, you know, a lot of kind of, especially like practical jobs and craft and I mean sort of true craft by that, not kind of crap craft as I would call it, you know, which is sticking sequins on things. Um, but, but those, a lot of skills are kind of applicable across the board, right? So if you're good at, if you're good at thinking in 3D, you know, that's a great skill to have, um, for lots of different crafts. Or if you're really good at being efficient with materials or you have a good sense of kind of design and what makes a beautiful curve and all these kind of things are, are, are really useful for lots of different skills. And so, you know, I think if you sort of keep practicing those and, and keep improving them, I think it can only be a good thing. I don't know where, I don't yeah. know how I got onto that topic. I do, I do go off at tangents. I've just realized. That's, that's all good. I'm here for the tangents. <laughs> Excellent. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious about, about your sort of, background and how you found your way into sustainable building and and whether you is that coming from a, a an architectural point of view or a construction or is this a is this something that you do 
as an adjunct to something else? Or? Well, I started off uh, studying product design, so very much interested in 3D form, um, and then got sort of tired of that uh, by the end of university, became a graphic designer, quite quickly became tired of that because <laughs> computers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I ran away to uh, Canada to, uh, I just thought I'd go snowboarding and do the thing Amazing. that made me happy. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, discovered all these people living uh, in little small holdings and building straw bale houses and mm-hmm. community. And yeah, that, well, one summer living in a community like that, and it changed my life completely. Um, wasn't British Cumbria yeah. by any chance, was it? Yeah, of course was it? it was. Oh dear. We all got, <laughs> everyone goes to BC and basically it changes their life. I did exactly the same when I was, uh, about 16 and went to Vancouver rainforest to, cause I was kind of on a mission to save the trees. Uh, uh-huh. and, uh, just life changing about how people viewed their environment and building and community and all that kind of thing. And it, it really, it really, changed my view on everything so it's really interesting to hear that you had that same experience yeah Yeah. and and having the feeling that you had some kind of agency in the kind of buildings that you'd even build or that you know people thought oh yeah I'll you know I'll I'll build a house and I'm going to design it and I'm going to use it you know and and all that kind of thing and 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 use local materials and yeah amazing what an amazing place it all just made total sense Mm -hmm. and you know the people seemed just really content and happy and um yeah like it, it for them i don't think it was in any way different or you mm. know, alternative it was just living mm. uh, there's something about i mean there is something about having such a vast amount of space to play with that they're very lucky you know i, I think in this country we're not you know, we don't have that much space to play with and, and and we don't have the kind of resources that they have to play with so i think we have to be a bit cannier about you know, how we use our resources, but yeah, just that. Um, and, and, and the connection to the outdoors that the Canadians in BC seem to have, I was really struck by. Um, mm. you, you can very quickly be the only person for miles around just you mm. know, heading off in one direction. Um, mm. I really felt like there was a, yeah, it, it was sort of proper nature as well. Nature that mm. could, yeah, you, know, you had to have your wits about you and you could you know, get into trouble quite easily. Uh, Whereas we have quite a, you know, a PG. Yeah, yeah. Nature. I quite, you know, I quite like that free of danger though. <laughs> it's probably because <laughs> we don't, we don't have it in this country. You know, the worst that's going to happen is you get stung by some wasps. Um, where, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's the genuine kind of dangers in, in that part of the world. Um, so yeah, I, that's, that's amazing that you went there and had that life changing experience though. And so did that make you then want to, uh, Go, sort of train yourself in sustainable building exactly that yeah mm. um so from from that moment on i was looking for the next thing to to build uh ended up traveling around the states doing doing natural building projects helping out on straw bale buildings and uh, cob buildings and yeah lots of all of the sort of alternative building scene out there and uh, mm. just kind of absorbed it all over the next four years and do you and do you think people in this country are, are are receptive to to those kinds of ideas? I think they are. Yes, mm. um, it feels it's it's a very different sort of scene. I would say um, 
I don't know quite the, the cause of that. And maybe uh, there's a lot more of a sort of, all, it's all right to be more alternative, I think, over mm. North America. I think I think a lot about buildings, actually. And I think I, I spend a lot of time um, thinking about why we have such a lot, lot of shit buildings in this, in mm-hmm. this country uh, and what that's about. And, and in my head, I find I feel quite conflicted about quite a lot of it because, you know, I appreciate that the that, that cost is such a is such a big driving factor for so much building and and mm. you know people need homes and that a lot of the kind of buildings that we we hold up as as examples of amazing projects which and they are you know the sort of georgian and victorian grandeur of so much city center life and you know the big stately homes were were funded by mega wealth that was in turn created by horrendous you know, mm-hmm. economic systems that were backed up by slavery and, and things like that. So, you know, it's difficult to sort of say, well, we, you know, I wish we all built nicer buildings, but actually the reality is, you know, that there is a kind of financial imperative. But weirdly, I, I, I only come on to that because I was listening this morning to a new series on, on Radio 4. I don't know if you caught the beginning of it. Uh, a guy called Thomas Heatherwick, who's a, who's a brilliant architect and designer, has just started a new, a new series called Why Boring Buildings Are Bad For Us. And it's a... Uh, it kind of it it, t- it tapped into the kind of idea about biophilia and about why so many and he's looking internationally but why so many buildings are doing us harm and mm-hmm. why how people feel about modern buildings and living amongst building uh, those kind of buildings and working in them and and navigating their way around them and that most people hate them and i thought that's such a such an interesting We've got to such an interesting point in architecture and uh, and our and our and our landscape, our built environment, where most people don't like the architecture that's being created. And so this, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't live in the world of architecture. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the current discussions are, but I can imagine that it's it's quite a difficult um, point. Uh, I think we've come to an an, an interesting point where it's not just going to be about economy anymore. It's not just going to be about oh, making grand statements. There's going to be, there's got to be so much discussion about environment and the human experience of being in buildings. And I find that's quite, I don't know about you, but I find that, I find that idea really exciting. And I mean, I'm curious yes. to know what comes out of it. I mean, maybe I'm just too skeptical, but um, I think houses in this country are predominantly agents for profit um for a few people um who don't really care about the human experience and they don't care mm-hmm. about well they don't care really about much you know they'll put in a bit of insulation because they're told they have to and mm-hmm. so i wonder how that that's you know like the vast majority of houses that people people are going to be living in are they're not they're not designed for the right reason or built for the right reason mm. um but there are i mean there are lots of people doing really interesting things in a very mm-hmm. sort of one-off um, way, I don't know how that how we get that into the mainstream. I don't, but I sus- you know I, I suspect there are there are there are lots of people having that discussion. I'm, I remember reading an article about because the idea that you can't go backwards, and I understand that, and that you know the the idea that you could though there's kind of some kind of halcyon time somewhere in the past where you know building was perfect and we were all really happy in the buildings that we had and so it doesn't doesn't exist it's not it's not true uh but that somewhere there's a there's a kind of sweet spot where 
all the things we know about technology can can marry up with a really sophisticated understanding of natural materials and that's i find that quite exciting you know there are lots of people doing amazing bits of research with creating bricks that have you know really low embodied energy but also you know help a building breathe and and probably have other bits of technology and and you know and i and i think well that's that's really interesting I, I hope we can kind of take the best of both disciplines and come up with something really cool um because obviously we're not all going to be living in iron age straw huts you know <laughs> in 50 years time it's just not going to happen um more's the pity but there we go yeah well you know <laughs> You know, if, I quite if like the societal well, collapse, go. maybe. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like I could probably have a stab at building one though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, you're um, you've done quite a lot of building over the over the years. Yes. I wanted to talk a little bit about your shed. <laughs> the shed of dread. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is this is yet again a. a, a it's all in the same vein of of working out an idea or communicating an idea in as in as simple and as accessible form as possible because uh i wrote a book called studio which was about creating it was about creative spaces for creative people and the idea being that, it, that if you're going to if you're doing something creative and you value it it's really important to have a space that um allows that work to, to, to happen properly. I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, trying to run a business from a kitchen table and, you know, the, you've, got to, you've got to dedicate a proper space to, to do something creative. That's my, that's my view of it because it shows that you're taking it seriously. And so I, I wrote this book about studios and it was fascinating and I was really interested to see how different creative people solved that problem. And, you know, there's a multitude of different studios. And things. But I was also really struck by how expensive it was for most people to, to build or to buy a shed, like a decent sized kind of garden room where you could actually do something decent. And so that got me thinking, I wonder if I could design something really simple and build it and see if you could, if I could actually do, create the instructions. So someone who had practically no experience of DIY could understand and could, could kind of replicate it. Great idea on, in principle, <laughs> really really challenging to do in real life as I'm sure you know you've had lots of experience of this where there's one thing having it in your head and then there's another thing actually trying to write instructions for how you you know create a mortise and tenon joint or you know how you explain the fact that you know there's a difference between nominal sizes and actual sizes of timber and all this kind of stuff which you Mm -hmm. know I'm not massively comfortable with and so someone who's not used to DIY isn't isn't will be even less so anyway the end result was actually I managed to do it and and build up and so I wrote this book called how to build a shed and I now worked from my shed in my garden and and we ended up doing it managed to do it quite cheaply well I think it was quite cheaply I think I think it came in under three grand or something which I think for a that's really it's really good and I want it to be really eco-friendly as well and 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 super kind of energy efficient um to to put that into perspective i know people that have built similar size things or had built for more like 30 or 40,000 i mean i don't, i don't understand i actually I, I think there's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors about building and uh people will you know will tell you that it costs 
you know, a shepherd's, a shepherd's hut will cost you £70,000. And I think to myself, well, hold on a minute. Let's just break down those components. You know, we, where, where we are on the farm here, you know, we have uh, someone who deals with timber. We have a blacksmith who's on the farm. All these kinds of, I, know how much, I know how much materials cost and I know how much craft costs. And, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's cheap. But I definitely think that because people are so disengaged with practical processes they often get slightly hoodwinked by the costs of things anyway so that that's a long-winded way of me saying that's why I wrote the book and amazingly people bought it and have built their own versions of my shed all over the place and so I <laughs> keep getting pictures and photographs of people saying this is my shed and I'm in Australia or this is my shed I'm in Nevada and, and it makes me so proud that people have have done it and and tackled it um so so yeah that's that's it's about kind of skilling people up and and things which is what you know i think is really really important yeah completely but i'm never going to do another project like that ever again just (laughs) 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 fyi we'll be back after a quick break if you're looking for all things bmx racing you found the right podcast Here at Lane 8 BMX Podcast, I'll speak to the local racer, the national racer, and even the Olympic level racer. I'm talking kids to the weekend warriors and much more. So get comfortable, turn up the volume, and remember to snap on green. That's brilliant. I think, well, I think shed is a funny word um, because it gets applied to a lot of things that aren't necessarily suitable like it can be your little potting shed it can be Mm. a studio it can be i mean my uh my house my landlord called it a shed uh (laughs) rude (laughs) yeah (laughs) absolutely before you throttled him (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yes your your shed very um yeah it's more more garden room than shed is how i yes Definitely. But I mean, and it was, it was, you know, it, it's shorthand, isn't it really for, for there's something about the word, there's something about shed that means it's about, um, it's a space for one and mm-hmm. it's, a, and, and there's something kind of about it being unique and, and isolated from normal life. And so it's quite, it's quite useful shorthand for me to sort of talking about studios or creative spaces and that kind of thing or places where you can, you know, writing huts and that kind of stuff where people can go off and, and do the things that they need to do without tripping over kids or Labradors or, you know, shopping, yep. which is what happens at our house all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, the, that book was illustrated by, uh, by Lee John Phillips. <gasps> Who I think we both share in common, don't we? Yeah. Yes. What a legend that yeah. man is. I mean, I think I pretty much gave him a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I would send him pictures of things like, can you just illustrate uh, me holding a hammer, you know, five millimetres above this, but not at this angle. Can it be this angle? And he must have just gone, Christ, you know, I'm I'm never working for this woman again. Bless him. He did it. So tell me about how you know him then. Um, I know him through the spoon carving world. Um, He is a very talented spoon carver and yeah, just got chatting to him at at one of the, the events. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and being a big fan of his work, because of course he is, I don't know how far through the shed project where he is, 
I think it's, was it his granddad's shed? He's yeah. going through the entire shed and drawing yeah. every everything in there from little, you know, a tub of washers. He's drawing every single one and labelling them. But isn't uh, that amazing? <laughs> I, I, it's not only it amazing creative task. Okay, so this is this is why, and you know, we're talking about the kind of like the the mystery of why all these things are connected, right? What he's doing is not only creative and an interesting artistic exercise. I mean, it's just a you know, it's just an interesting exercise. But he's honouring his grandfather, and there's something about memory and uh, heritage and you know ancestors and all that kind of thing that's going on, which is why you know, craft and building and, and, and artistry and all those kind of things are so fascinating. They do have so much crossover and, and you know, the, the fact that he's doing that, it, it might seem like a bit of a joke, but it's also an amazing thing that he's doing. Um, and I don't know what he'll do when he finishes. I mean, it, it'll, it'll probably be a, a strange sensation when he actually finishes because in a sense that's when, I don't know, does the grieving start then or is that like mm. the monument to his grandfather finished or I don't know. It's, I, I find that very um curious i i think it's it's a really beautiful sort of portrait of the type of person his granddad must have been you know the sort of Mm. to collect jam jars full of washers and nuts and bolts and you know have everything Mm. stored and a bit jumbled and a bit of everything um Mm. but that's i think that's that's people of a different era as well isn't it and and i think we've we've mm. lost you're probably younger than i am but I am of that generation of the, I'm kind of a, a, a child of the Thatcher generation where you didn't keep anything, you didn't reuse anything, everything was disposable. And I can't imagine what my grandfather's generation must have thought of us as we were ripping through materials and resources and whilst he was carefully, you know, collecting every bit of, you know, every, every reusing nails and, you know, keeping bits of wrapping paper and all that kind of stuff. But I love the fact that we're coming around to that again now. And actually, you know, there was such wisdom in that, in that, in that carefulness with resources. Um, something, there's something really beautiful about that, which yeah, I really like. Very much so. Can I just ask, are you in your, are you in your house right now? I am, yeah. So is that the, st- sorry, I'm being very curious and nosy. No, no, that's all right. Have you built that? Oh my God, that's amazing. And is there, do those stairs go up to like a mezzanine floor? <laughs> yes. So that's my, my bedroom up there. Um, I can just about sit up in bed, um, sort of mattress on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. There's my and kitchen got, behind. Did you make your kitchen? Yep. Amazing. And have you got, so presumably you must have a work, you must have a workshop. Um, Yes. Yeah. So the whole the whole tiny house living is is somewhat fraudulent when you realise that I've got a workshop that's just full of stuff. (laughs) It's huge. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you just live in your workshop? It's massive, I suspect. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's that's really beautiful. Gosh, that's such an amazing thing to. So did you? I'm being very nosy. Did you have to buy the land and then get permission, or is it mobile so you can whiz it around? Or it's mobile. Um, I live on a big old uh, country estate uh, that I definitely don't own. Um, (laughs) I work for my stay. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, part of a part of a drive for me to sort of try and reclaim living a little bit um, Mm -hmm. in terms of. I didn't want to just keep giving away all my money every month. Um, mm. um, and being kind of in, in nature 
what's the plan in, in terms of um, how does it? How, I mean, is this is this kind of the forever house, or are you planning other ones, or is it is it is the process of building it more interesting than actually living in it? Or like I always find, I find uh, with building projects, I sort of I get really excited about the project and then think mm, when I finished. <laughs> um i was definitely i mean the the build was all encompassing um it really took over my every sort of thought but yeah i mean i don't see any reason to not live here i i it i mean it's designed to fit me like a glove you know the Mm. the desk i'm sat at now is my work desk you know there's a living space there's space for stretching there's you know a good sized kitchen for cooking it sort of does all the things that i need a space to do um mm. so i mean currently i couldn't i don't know why i would live anywhere differently i mean mm. i i really value outdoor space um and i've just built a workshop in the woods where oh i'm gonna park my house Amazing. kind of near to mm. and and so you know once i've got all of that why why would i need anything else yeah 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 i suppose it's a fatuous question really isn't it because it that's that's coming from a kind of t- old-fashioned mindset where it's like oh you know once you've done that we'll surely want more or surely want something else and and actually that's the kind of such a pointless pursuit uh is is constantly (laughs) kind of looking for new stuff all the time i am really interested in the kind of idea about about human-sized spaces and it's something i i think about quite a lot we live in a we live in an old georgian house very late georgian early early victorian farmhouse that was that was built as a as a kind of um, experiment, I suppose. Or a, so so we live in North Yorkshire, which is the vernacular is is limestone, beautiful, mm-hmm. small, intimate spaces, farmhouse. You know, the, the idea being that you didn't have to heat anywhere that was too big, and you know everything was on a kind of human scale. And then and then with the advent of of um, commercial farming, uh, a lot of land, a lot of estates probably like the one you're on built these kind of model farmhouses which were suddenly mm-hmm. like a, a, it's like it's like a it's like a child would draw a house you know it's like a square with you know windows there and a door in the middle and that kind of stuff and the rooms are very uniform and they're tall and all that kind of stuff but i can see the and i, and I love it and it's really interesting it's a really interesting house to live in but i can see the appeal of having a more human space and the barns are much older than the house and I actually prefer the barns to here to the to the house because mm-hmm. they're built of local materials they respond to the landscape they're even orientated the right way for the sunshine and the wind and all that kind of stuff and I love that and so eventually I always say to my husband oh you know one of these days we're gonna you know we'll rent out this one and we'll do up the barns when you know some relative pops off their perch and <laughs> No, I'm joking, by the way, obviously. <laughs> but um but I'd be really interested to kind of live in a in a in a in a much um a much cozier environment because you know the house can feel often feel quite cold or a bit echoey and and and, and stuff. Um and I've always wanted to live in a timber framed house and I'd love to do a timber framed project. That would just be that would be so exciting. I remember seeing a, um, a Grand Designs years ago. It must be two decades old now. That was, it was, it was the daughter of someone who ran an oak framed. 
Do you remember it? An oak framed company down in in. I don't know if I do. Near Ludlow, I wish I knew that they were called Oak something. I'm, I'm kicking myself. Can't remember, but it was the first time I'd seen anyone. And she build a new build oak framed building, and she did it with such sensitivity and used lime lime mortar and you know lovely old tiles on the roof and stuff. I'm thinking, oh, that you know. That really appeals, and the idea of the house kind of shifting and creaking and and moving and and having a kind of energy of its own—that's that you know that would that would appeal. But maybe in the next life, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if if the shed project, it feels like it could be a, an enlarged, all-encompassing, probably nervous breakdown <laughs> yes. version of that. <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah, I don't think. Um, John would be on for that, really, would he? I think that would just that would be a firm hard no from him. I suspect <laughs> <laughs> he'll stick to his stick to his nails. So, how did you learn to? Um, how did you learn to do all the craftsmanship? Because there's one thing, kind of knocking together, you know, being able to kind of hammer together a shed, and there's another another thing to be able to kind of mm-hmm. craft a home. And and so, where did you learn that? Oh well, I was sort of learning craft alongside it very small small scale craft um sort of woodwork wise uh while building quite big homes um yeah and i just sort of i guess found the middle ground of that Mm. um and i think that one thing i'm really interested in is kind of systems and how things go together and um thinking about the sort of holistic all the the components coming together and sort mm. of ordering that, that kind of, that's a thing that I enjoy occupying my brain with. Um, so, so yeah, so sort of building very much captures that for me. And mm. then the crafting of individual elements is probably just nerdiness, isn't it? It's exercising a different part of the, uh, the brain, isn't it? I do find it interesting that amongst, uh, carpenters or woodworkers I know there is such a there's such a spectrum of uh of of how people approach stuff and and someone like my my dad Mm -hmm. who's he's he's a fine furniture maker and he literally you know everything takes forever to make and everything's about millimeter precision and things right through to to chippies I know who could you know knock you up a you know a building in two days practically and but with not much finesse and and I'm, and I'm curious mm-hmm. sometimes about how people can kind of flex between those positions and depending on what the project is and uh, uh and and you often find people or, or some people just kind of resolutely stick to one point you know they're, they're just people who can kind of get stuff done they're not really bothered about having a, a sparkly finish or a or you get people like my dad who you know don't get into a bit of stud wall because it will, you know, it'll be beautiful, but it will take three hours. <laughs> oh, no, three, sorry, three days to do or whatever. So where do you kind of see yourself on that? Um, I flip quite uh, frantically between the two. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I would love to spend my time making timber frame buildings, um, at, you know, proper jointed timber frames. Mm. Um, but the reality of certainly for client work is that's a very it's quite an exclusive uh sort of type of customer that can can afford that because they mm. are slow and precision and you know big expensive bits of timber um so doing quite quick stud framing is is you know, sort of means to an end it is very satisfying because it is so quick mm. and you know you can go 
as you say, sort of two days, you can have a whole space framed out. Um, yeah, how? What? What did you ask me? No, I was just wondering, like, where you know, like, are you a? I even think even the titles, you know, like, are you a joiner, a carpenter? Are you a, you know, would you call yourself a chippy? Or, you know, a, do you do, you know, do you do fine carpentry? Or, you know, it's like, almost like how you define yourself, um, I find interesting about, you know, how different people approach craft in different ways. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I really struggle with that um, because I do quite a lot of different things. If I probably would be a general builder who specializes in natural materials. Mm. But I think that undersells me in quite a few different aspects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a specialist plasterer. I'm not a specialist timber framer. Um, I just try and I do bits of them wherever I can mm. and, and you know, try to make them beautiful. I think sometimes that kind of, you know, that expression of personality and um, and individuality and character and stuff is a lot of ta- often the thing that's kind of missing from modern buildings. There's no kind of flourishes, is there? There's no kind of sense of the human that's built the thing. And and mm-hmm. I don't know how you go about reintroducing that, but I love the idea of, I mean, even that guy who, <laughs> I was laughing the other day about the story about the guy who built a gargoyle, carved a gargoyle. Did you see that? About the, uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, his local counsellor made into a gargoyle and apparently the local councillor thinks it's hilarious which is great but I, you know I, i'm sad that we don't do those kind of things you know um and that buildings seem to have so little personality or even just decorative personality there's no decoration mm-hmm. i went to um i went to a, a college uh to do my undergrad graduate degree called keble college which was part of um university of oxford and even that, which was a brick building, which could have been so, it could have looked like a Victorian prison. They took such great care to 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 create patterns with bricks, and it looks like an amazing kind of knitted jumper. It's 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 fabulous, and you mm-hmm. know, and things like the woodwork is really beautifully carved in it, and you know, there are just some lovely kind of bits of attention to detail, and we just I don't know. We just don't seem to build public spaces like <clears throat> like that anymore, which makes me sad. That where you celebrate craftsmanship, but maybe mm. I'm being maybe I'm being naive about about you know the amounts of money involved. But I don't know. Yes, I do wonder. Well, I've heard it said that the sort of um, well this, the the cost of labour, mm. um, you know, people need to be paid a lot more these days. And therefore, to to spend the time to do different brick patterns just adds a adds a cost. Oh, I mean, maybe that's just an excuse. Maybe that's just a capitalist excuse, though, for not making as much money. Well, you wonder, don't you? Because people like dry stone wallers were always traditionally paid quite well, or you know, stonemasons. I mean, there was a, obviously a higher. You know, if you had a, if you had a, a group of stonemasons building a building a minster, there was obviously a hierarchy amongst those stonemasons. But it was a good living. There was no way that it wasn't kind of peasant workforce. Mm. You know, being made to kind of chip away against their will. You know, this there was proper craftsmanship, and it was, you know, people formed guilds and all that kind of stuff, so that you could actually demand proper prices for your goods. So that kind of argument, it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite add up for me. Um, I suppose you've got, like you say, they're kind of, you know, a lot of building projects are big money-making exercises now rather than a means to an end. 
possibly or or a, a you know a a, a state statement you know i don't think i don't know how much you know the government in, in invests in state architecture or or that kind of thing or you know takes any pride in those kind of buildings i mean even stuff like you know there was when there was the phase of building public swimming pools or public libraries in sort of the late victorian era even some of those are glorious um and and really highly decorative really highly decorative for really kind of mundane purposes right like you know like going for a swim or or you know borrowing a book and they were more than mundane purposes because they were about they were about public health and that's really 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 important and public education but the fact that they you know people showed that they that those things mattered by spending money on the buildings is is really is really telling for me uh that was a thing that struck me about Poundbury, um, you know, mm. whether you like or dislike that place. One thing they they were talking about was that there needed to be a hierarchy of buildings, um, and you know, the the more flourishes, the more the more grandeur, the sort of the more important the building and the, its purpose. Um, and that's that sort of always struck me as a thing that we've definitely lost. Mm. I have funny, I have mixed feelings about the Poundbury experiment because. Because on one, you know, on on Everyone one hand, does, it, yeah, yeah. But actually, I think at its heart is a really good idea, and and a recognition of the the, the value of, of of lovely spaces. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sally. This is just the first half of our chat. Make sure you roll straight into part two, episode 106, um, where the conversation turns to biophilia and craft in much more detail. A reminder that all the books mentioned are linked in the episode description. And I wanted to say um, about that Poundbury comment I made at the end, I don't think I did a particularly great job of explaining what I meant. What I was trying to convey is that that all of the buildings have a a visual hierarchy. So the more ornate, uh, the more important the building is. And so you can quite quickly read uh, the town. Um, It's quite a nice feature um, that I'm not doing a very good justice. I'm... (laughs) I am doing no justice to. Um, if you are interested to know more about Poundbury, then head to episode number six with Noel Isherwood. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, otherwise, head straight on over to episode 106. 
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 